Hello, and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome back to Reimagining Love. For today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jordana Abraham and Dr. Naomi Bernstein, sisters and co-hosts of the Oversharing Podcast from Betches Media. Their show is all about the challenges that we face in all kinds of relationships, from friendships to family to long-term partnerships. Jordana Abraham is the co-founder of Betches and a relationship enthusiast. And she's teamed up with her big sister, licensed clinical therapist, Dr. Naomi Bernstein, to answer your questions and to try to get to the bottom of the things that bother us most. I loved having these two on to discuss some modern relationship dilemmas in the realms of dating and family dynamics and therapy and more. I love Jordana and Dr. Naomi's story, as well as the compassion, wisdom, humor, and personal experience they bring to relationship questions. It was truly a joy to have them on, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Jordana and Dr. Naomi, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. So happy to be here. I love talking to other therapists and just kind of getting that connection and like a little mini supervision, joint supervision session. So I love doing this. So do I, especially when I'm not paying. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. All right. Well, I can't wait to dive into all things about your podcast, about dating and all of that good stuff. But where I want to start with the two of you is by asking you both the relational self-awareness question that we ask all of the guests on Reimagining Love. So are you are you ready for it? Let's do it. Why don't you go first? Because, no. Sure. I'll go first. <laughs> you want big sister to go first? Yes. Big okay. sister. The, and pave you, the way. Okay. Pave the way. All right. Copying my homework. <laughs> right. So Dr. Naomi, what is a growing edge that you are currently working on in one of your important relationships? And what has it been teaching you these days? So, you know, it's interesting because I've been a mom for 10 years and I've been a wife for 14 years. So you'd think that you kind of have it down pat by the time you get that far along in those relationships. But I think the growing edge for me as a therapist is trying to relinquish control of everyone's emotions in my house and trying to kind of allow 
everyone to find their own way because the therapist in me often feels like I need to jump in and help everyone and fix everyone and calm everyone and kind of, you know, and that sort of keeps me out of my own mindfulness practice. So that's a big part of my own personal journey and my work that I do in therapy is mindfulness. And that's the main thing that I think pulls me out is when someone in my family is activated in some way, then I feel like it's my job to jump in and kind of fix that. So the edge that I'm working on there is, you know, trying to stay mindful in those moments when people that I love are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a tough spot for me. Naomi, I hear this so much and I have so much empathy for the struggle. And it's like this both and of the mindfulness skills are so important and they are helpful. And the mindfulness skills do not eliminate all of the pulls and the tugs and the urges and the fumbles and the need for redos and all of that. They're both true. Yeah. And the hard part is like, I want, and it's interesting because when I do my own meditation, what I often find pulls my mind out is like, how do I give this to other people? As I'm doing it and I'm trying to be in it in my own and just like be in my own moment, I keep getting pulled out to how do I teach my kids this? How do I help my husband with this? How do I help my patients with this? So it's sort of like, shh, quiet, I'm meditating. You know, like this is for me now. You know, this moment is for me. It's not about how to help everybody else. So I think sometimes, and even in in those real life moments where if you know one of my children is having an uncomfortable moment, I'm jumping in with like, okay, how can I help them be mindful? How can I, you know, instead of what I think the edge that I need to lean more towards is they'll figure it out, let them figure it out, kind of stepping back a little bit. So that's what I would say for that. Right. In a moment with our kids, what, which hat are we wearing? Just sort of the holding space hat or are we trying to advise and lead? And that, I think that's such a, that's such a tension. And I'll tell you what, I'm a bit further on the journey than you are. Our kids are 18 and 20 and I'm still trying to figure out, okay, which hat is needed in this moment. And it really is. I think the bottom line is it really is that holding space and trusting hat. Sometimes the advisory hat or the coaching hat is helpful, but by and large, it's more that. I agree. Most of the time I just have to, (laughs) my, the place where I need to pushback is just letting them be, letting them, you know, just being there, just being there. And that's what I think a lot of that, you know, you do a lot of couples work. I'm sure a lot of that, what I'm teaching and helping couples with is just being there and not having to fix or change or do like people say, I don't know what to say. I don't know. You know, it's not about what you say. It's just about that whole creating that space to just be held. And I think kids need that husbands, wives, friends, you know, that's really what everybody needs. So sometimes as a therapist, even as much as I can help guide people in a couple session to do that, it is a struggle sometimes, especially with kids, because you feel like, oh, they need help. They need my help. Right. Right. And there and there was like the hard thing is that, that your first experience with your kids was they did need help. I mean, they needed regulation and so, but they needed help. And so that is challenging because you have memories of times when they literally could not do anything for themselves. Yeah. Okay. Jordana, how about for you? What's a growing edge in the relationship that you've been working on these days? Sure. So I've been running a company, Betches, with my two childhood friends since for now about 12 years next month, which is pretty big. 
I've started this company with friends, I think, and especially, you know, we've started at 21. Now we're, we're 33 and we've kind of grown up with the company, grown up with the business together. And some of that is really cool and really great as we grow up and, you know, see our business mature and our content mature as we mature. Uh But I also think that there's, because almost when you're so close to someone or you're too close, you have a lot of those childhood defense mechanisms that come out when you're relating to each other that are so ingrained because you've been practicing them for so long and because you've known each other so long that maybe in a different circumstance with someone you just met, you wouldn't have that reaction to a conversation or a disagreement or that response. You wouldn't feel it so strongly. And, you know, we have our own ways of interacting with each other and our own defense mechanisms that always come up. And it's been really interesting to see over the past 12 years how we've dealt with them and how we've um, sort of gotten through them in order to work together really well. And so I would say, like, when there's three of us and there's like a tension or a an issue, I my old defense mechanism would be to sort of like disassociate from the conversation and be like, okay, well, if I can't control it or get my way in it, I'm just going to not care at all. And and you handle it, which is probably, you know, not the healthiest way to react. So something that I'm working on is staying present in the situation, sort of like dealing with the confrontation, not running from it or, or opting out of it and then working through it. Wow. I mean, you've been in this like living laboratory, right? I mean, a, a, a decades long <laughs> friendship is already a living laboratory because you've all had to like get to know each other again and again and again. But then you also, you've had this project, like this big, that you all started, I mean, you started it when you were still in college, right? Exactly. So it's been a, it's been a long time. (laughs) Yeah. The company has grown up with the three of you, right? The task of friendship is different than the task of nurturing and growing Betches Media. And you're still you. So some of the ways that you cope in all of your relationships, it sounds like, or in many of your relationships, will sneak up on you in this dynamic with these two founders and friends of yours. And your growing edge is to not do what can be your knee jerk, which is like tag out, opt out, pull back. Right. Exactly. I could see that being hard too with, you know, Breaking out of the mold. I mean, you guys met when you were like, I don't know, a 10 or something. 10. Yeah. Yeah. So a long time ago, you know, everyone kind of forms their own little identity within that group. And then you're such a different person 20 years later that it's sort of like, you know, sometimes you do need to make these changes, but you're stuck probably, I would imagine, in the role that you played in high school or even in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, it feels like, you know, sometimes you go home and you're kind of like, oh, I'm acting a different way when I'm around, when I'm home because I'm bringing Mm -hmm. out all these like survival techniques or these survival mechanisms inside of me that don't really, aren't really serving me anymore. And so it's, you know, it's hard to sort of look at a relationship that's been so intertwined. We like to say it's like a three-way marriage um, for so long from like a, sure. an objective sort of standing outside of it, looking in perspective. So definitely something I think all of us are working on. Right. That's right. Because if you're changing your choreography, if you're not pulling back in those moments when the two of them are used to you pulling back, they have to modify, right? Like, oh, shoot. Okay. Jordana's still here. Like her right. voice is still in the ring. We've got to keep, it changes the whole dynamic between the three of you. Yeah, totally. And it's just navigating, you know, how each of, like how the equilibrium of all of these these different um, voices and works out as you switch one thing, like you just said. Yeah. 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 
Okay, so Naomi, you are the big sister in this sisterhood. What has it been like for you the last 12 years watching your little sister, you know, growing up and growing with this like media empire? I mean, your platform, well, these were our latest numbers. They might be even bigger now, like reaches 48 million, mostly millennial and Gen Z women. Like it is what you've built is quite incredible. Naomi, what's it been like for you to watch, to watch Jordana grow up and grow with this business? Yeah, it's pretty insane. I remember in the beginning, it was a blog, right? And I remember you first sending me something and it was like, this thing went viral. And I was kind of like, I don't even know what that (laughs) even was at that time. And it was, it was, you know, but I remember reading those early blog posts and thinking, wow, this is really funny. This is really, really funny. This is really like, I think what she did and I loved it, I guess, in a little bit of a narcissistic way too, was sort of like, I could see our childhood conversations and dynamics of this realness. Like there was always a lot of realness in our house. You know, there wasn't a lot that was kind of held close to the vest. So I heard all of that coming out just in kind of like calling out whatever they were seeing around them and like the sorority world or whatever that was at the time and thinking this is, I could see why people like this. It's really funny. And then just watching her, it was amazing. It really, it was incredible. And I remember going to one of the first live you up, they do, uh, you know, the you up podcast. Uh, Jordan is also on that podcast in addition to our podcast and they do some live shows. So I remember going to a pretty big venue in New York city and, you know, seeing her up on the stage and just, you know, hundreds, thousands, I guess, of people <laughs> filling into the theater and just feeling like, wow, I'm so, so proud of her. And you really deserve it. You deserved it. And it was, it's just great because it's kind of like warm and fuzzy to see like our family dynamic in the writing and in the portrayal and in everything that everybody's loving. But then there's this whole other professional or uh, around it too, that was something new. That was like, I was kind of getting to know her in this new role too at the same time. So it's been pretty amazing. And it's and I'm glad you're asking because we haven't, I mean, I've told her all of this mm. in, in some way, shape, It's very form, nice to hear. I think it's very, it's, yeah. it's personally. Yeah. It's like, really? It's, yeah. It, like you, you take it in, Jordana. Like it feels good for you to hear her talk, oh, talk about you this way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, she Naomi's ten years older than me, so she's always been such a a role model. And our family is like very chaotic and very hectic and very like tumultuous a lot of the times. And so, and Naomi has always been like a very like soothing, healthy, stable force. And so, it's nice to have someone like that in your life to channel. You know, any like you said, our family has like the the positives of that are that you get really creative interesting discussions with all the chaos but it's nice to also have the balance of like peace and calm and light and love there i like this part that naomi is saying where it, like in those moments she both she can feel how you belong to her and with her right like this is like she feel she can see in your voice how your voice is an outgrowth of your family system but also she feels really separate from you like she gets to kind of shine on you like she gets to see you in this different light like she's got both those things going on inside of her as she watches you you know do your thing yeah it's really pretty amazing and then the now that we're doing this weekly podcast together, you know, we have our own podcast oversharing mm-hmm. that we do every week. And that's just, I think it's brought us so much closer because one, 
we're sort of forced to put it on the calendar to have a chat every week, which doesn't typically happen when you're both leading busy lives. So I love that. And then there's we just always have so much fun because <laughs> there is this kind of familiarity and a take. But yet at the same time, we've kind of grown in our own path. So there is a nice yin yang to the conversation yeah. too. Yeah. So tell me about that. So what was like what inspired you to do it? And then what have you learned about yourselves in creating and nurturing this show together? So I mean, our family, like we said, have oh has always been really fixated on like there's been a lot of interpersonal uh relationships and a lot of interpersonal dynamics in our families. We are you know, we have different dads. Our, there's a lot of different marriages. There's nine kids. We each have our own half siblings that are separate from each other. So there's a lot of different family and dynamics and things like that. And so because of that, I mean, th- again, that came with a lot of chaos, but it also came with a lot of interacting with all different kinds of people. And I think that both of us have enjoyed the analytical part of like what makes a healthy relationship? What does it look like to to be your best self, to, to escape, you know, maybe like, again, survival techniques that you had in childhood. And I think a lot, you know, speaking personally, I think a lot of that for me was figured out through humor. And for Naomi, it was, it was she's been a, a psychologist for how many years now? I don't know. Oh, I don't even know either. Maybe 17, <laughs> yeah. something like that. So it's really yeah. like similar topics, but totally. kind of different avenues for them. We thought, wouldn't it be fun to like have those two aspects come together? So you have, you know, let's say if you could tell your problems to your your therapist and your best friend at the brunch table, like what would be the difference between what the two of them would say? What would overlap? Because you do get, you know, those are the, for women in this generation, those are the people that you're coming to with your issues. Mostly it's like your friends or your therapist. And a lot of the times it doesn't really feel like those two kind of connect. And so we thought it'd be really fun to bring it together. Yeah. And Jordana is like your funny best friend, you know? So I love that part because sometimes it's hard. And as a therapist, you know, you're in it and it's deep and it's real. And you're, like you said, you really want to be like holding that person in, you know, with them in that emotion. And even as we're talking, we get email submissions, even as we're talking, you know, these are real people with real problems that are coming to us and, and opening up to us about what's going on. So they're, it's really nice to have that dynamic of like being able to be lighthearted about it and be funny about it and like kind of touch on the realness in a funny way, which Jordana does a great job of. And then, you know, also having that warm listening holding of a, of a therapist. So it's a, it's a great space, I think, to do all that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I've not listened to all of the episodes, but it just, yeah, the the connection between the two of you comes through really clearly and the way that the two of you are able to play off of each other. And it's not like polar opposites. It's not like Naomi is serious and Jordana's flippant. It's not that at all. It really is like the two, like the synergy is really lovely between the two of you, right? Naomi has, you know, you've got what, what I have also like this sort of therapy speak and this way of kind of maybe not saying something super directly, lots of sort of caveats and perhaps, and, you know, and Jordana Mm -hmm. a bit more, you know, just kind of cuts through it a bit more directly. Like regular people. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so before we move on to talking about dating, I just would love, what do you think like little Jordana and little Naomi would say about the fact that the two of you have launched this show together? Like what would the little the little girls that live inside of each of you be doing right now, like seeing how this whole thing is playing out? Oh, that's a funny question to think about. 
I think I'd probably be jumping for joy. I mean, this, you know, I'm so grateful for this. And I think if my younger self was looking forward and like, you know, seeing that this is something that we get to do that's part of our work, I think I would just be, and so happy that we're still connected. You know, we are 10 years apart. So when I left for college, Jordana was seven or eight. Um, And so it's really nice that we've been able to kind of maintain the connection because, you know, we've had our own journeys and, you know, done our own thing and it's beautiful that we're coming full circle. So I think I'd be really excited. And it's just, I love thinking about Jordana when she was little, she was so cute. She had like this curly (laughs) hair and just this cutest little adorable, you know, precious. I always say she looks kind of like a precious moments doll, like these big eyes and this adorable little face. So I love thinking about her like that. She was a super cutie. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would feel like so excited in the same, in the same way. It also, it's kind of like, because you were almost like, I don't want to say a generation above me, but you had been doing everything like far enough apart that you had pretty much been through every stage before me. So whether that was going to college, I remember you dropped me off at college and you wrote me this like sweet little note about like, you know, finding yourself and becoming who you are and like being, you know, enjoying the time that you have here and how amazing it was going to be just to like every step to, you know, to dating, to finding a boyfriend, to getting married and all those things. It was, it always felt really cool to have someone who was like very like-minded to me who had already more so than someone who was maybe like even just a couple of years older than me. The fact that she was so much older than me, it was like she had the perspective of not only having done it, but also having the full space from it to really, Mm -hmm. to give like really amazing advice about all these different phases of life. So I'm just really excited that we have a platform to bring Naomi's wisdom to the masses. Aw, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, well, so let's get like a little bit nitty gritty here. So I love the episode of Oversharing where you all had Jared on, who is, he's a comedian and he is Jordana's co-host on the You Up podcast. And so the two of you had him on and God love him for doing this. Like he just put himself out there. You, you know, you looked at his dating patterns and what's keeping him from being able to really progress in a relationship. And it was so, you all brought, you both brought a ton of warmth, a ton of compassion. Like he wasn't under the microscope being criticized or picked apart. It was really like a beautiful service for all of your listeners because Jared's struggle is, you know, the things that he's struggling with are so common and so incredibly relatable. And I want to like pull out a few of those themes because I think they also apply really well to the reimagining love listeners. And the first one I wanted to talk about was something Jordana that you had said, and you now have this, like from, from hosting you up for so long, you have this collection of stories. Like you've been in, you know, like doing the sort of like informal scientific study of dating patterns. And one of the things that you shared that I thought was really interesting is you said that you feel like in general, this is a sweeping gender statement, that men tend to be afraid to get into a new relationship for fear of having to figure out how the heck to end it, and that women tend to be afraid of getting into a new relationship for fear of being hurt in the relationship. So that there are these different, maybe gender-based blocks that you feel like apply, you know, based on some gender roles and things like that. Will you start us there? Like, where does that observation come from? Just tell us more about that. Right. I mean, I think for a lot of men, and Jared will talk about this on You Up, 
a lot where it's kind of like, if it can feel like if you're going on the third date, then you are committing to a lifetime together. And then you, or the idea that you'll be, that you'll be going along with the flow for so long that you become so deep with someone and then you have to leave and you have this huge fear of like hurting someone or wasting someone's time. Because I think a lot, that's a big thing for a lot of women is like their time is very precious. The older you get, especially. And I mean, like, that's obviously like a societal trope of like a woman getting older and, you know, maybe losing her chance to have children or, or to meet someone or, and again, I don't think that's necessarily fair, but there's a lot of thought uh, societal ideas that are thrown at you about, your value getting lower as you age, especially for women. I don't think men really feel that in the same way and it's not told to them at all in the same way. So I think that there is a fear with men of like, if I'm going to go on that third date or I'm going to date someone for three months and then not commit to them, I've now, I've created a situation where I'm the bad guy and I, you know, I'm going to be like hated and I'm a villain in this person's life and I've, you know, destroyed their life. And I think that's probably even more exaggerated for someone like Jared, um, who's had maybe negative experiences with that happened to him in the past. And then I think with women, it's like a lot of the time you're dating and you are on guard for that. And I think that the fear of that happening or the fear of like being broken up with or the fear of something not working out and you putting your effort into it kind of can create a self-fulfilling prophecy Yeah, in a lot of ways where, uh, and we talked about this, Naomi, on the show a lot, where it's like, because you think, oh, this guy is going to sleep with me and then never call me again. Like you're almost inadvertently acting in a way that creates a, a, a tension or creates a situation to where the person is almost more likely, that's more likely to happen than if you were just having fun. But it's really hard because it's, I can, I totally, you know, having dated for a long time, especially in a city like New York, where it can feel really tiresome, you have this feeling of frustration and you're kind of like, yeah, I want to have fun with dating, but it's not very fun. It doesn't feel very fun. It feels like a job. It feels like something I need to do before a certain deadline, or I'm going to be the last one picked and I'm going to be alone and all these other like spiraling intrusive thoughts that I myself had used to deal with for sure. So I can definitely relate to a lot of our listeners when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think in terms of that being like, again, coming back to mindfulness and kind of how to enjoy the process of dating and how to take yourself out of, you know, you go on and Jordana kind of uses this term emotional masturbation where like you're kind of you go on that first date and all of a sudden you're like on the you know 10th date and you're moving in together and you're you know what's going to what's the your babies. List? yes naming the babies exactly so it is hard because it's like very fear based a lot of the times there's like this you're dating almost to quell the fear of like I'm going to be alone or I'm not going to be able to have children and you know within the timeline and so you're dating with this idea of like what's the, how am I going to get to the next place? And then I always, you know, I talk to our listeners a lot about, okay, so you get the, he says, I'm your boyfriend, right? Which is great. Or, you know, whatever it is you're looking for. And then you're, then you just keep moving the marker. Now you want to move in together. Then you move the marker again. Everyone else is getting engaged Then you get engaged Then you move the marker again. When's the wedding? When's the baby? When's, you know, and I think people can go through their whole life. We, I think talked about this even on the last episode about the grandparents saying, well, so-and-so has grandkids or, you know, who has grandkids and I want grandkids because she has grandkids. So you can go forever 
continuously not being in the moment and pushing towards that next marker. So I think the more mindful people can be of just accepting that if you're doing all the things, if you're not sitting on your couch and just watching TV and isolating yourself, if you're out there and you're dating and you're working on yourself, like you talked about the question you asked in the beginning, kind of figuring out you know, where your growth can be and you're doing all that self-work and taking good care of yourself and putting yourself out there at that point. Just saying, I give myself permission to accept what is and to accept kind of what the universe has in store for me. And that I think is obviously a really tough ask, but if you can keep coming back to that, you prevent that thing from happening where you're kind of like rushing the process or you know, going into the first date, wondering if this is going to be the person that you're going to end up with at the end of the day. Instead of saying, you know what? I like the taste of my drink. I'm going to take a sip of my drink. I'm going to enjoy the, you know, the view of this handsome man in front of me or this beautiful woman or whatever it is. And I'm going to enjoy the food and the company and being out. And that's all, you know, coming back to the sensory mindful presence while you're dating which is tough, yeah. but um, yeah. it helps. Even just like a little, it helps. just those constant reminders, like any mindful moment of, right. you know, a little moment of I'm here now and that's it. I think there's, there's sometimes can feel like there's a fear of, okay, if I accept where I'm at, then I've given up the dream of what I really want. And so that could be scary to say like, I'm happy now or I'm enjoying where I'm at now because it feels like giving up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. Or releasing control, releasing control. Releasing control. That's right. right. Releasing control is not the same thing as stuckness. Th- those aren't the same thing, but I think there's a fear that they're, that they mean the same thing. Yes. You know, it's like in, in what both of you are saying, like there's the, the mindfulness practices are absolutely essential for somebody to keep their mental health, emotional health, resilience intact as they date. But it's also, Jordana, there's something in what you're saying also that's such a reminder of how important it is for people of all genders to keep questioning and challenging and breaking down these really sneaky and pervasive gender scripts. Like that, that was what was hurting my heart so much as I listened to Jared put total responsibility on himself to know the entire like path of this relationship. He is one half of the relationship, right? And she is the, because he's somebody who dates women, she's the other half of the relationship. But this ridiculous, you know, one of the, whatever, side effects of patriarchy is that what we have, what we tell men is you're in charge and you can't string her along. And woman, all you can do is give subtle hints you know, be indirect. And that just sinks both people. Like, and it stands out so much in what you're capturing, Jordana, as like the fears, her fear of being hurt and his fear of being hurtful, which is too simple, right? It's too simple of a story because Jared also, I keep keep talking about Jared, but it was such a powerful example. Jared and every man who dates also has the potential to be hurt, right? Every man who dates knows hurt and has been hurt. And every woman who dates knows the feeling of feeling overly responsible, you know, too much in charge. So it's like, it's too simplistic to act like one is at risk of being hurt and one is at risk of being, you know, a jerk or wasting people's time. Right. And I think that was, that that's such a great point. And I remember something that you, that Naomi said that stuck with me from that episode was like, 
you have to give more power to the woman here. Like if it's not progressing in the way that she wants it to progress, she can always leave. Like, and that's extremely empowering for both people. Like both, neither person needs to stay in something that isn't working for them. And so you can feel free to like go, which is, which seems like limiting, but it's actually more empowering because it's like, then you can feel free to take this relationship and keep going with it. If you're having a fun time, even if you're not sure if this person is your guaranteed match, because both people have like free will and both people can leave at any time. And sometimes you don't know, not because you're playing games, not because you've got some deep psychological, you know, constraint, but just because you need to have a a well of experiences with that person in order to create that potential, right? The potential gets created together. It's not just either there or not there. So that's why dating may be that you need to have some amount of repeated experiences to create like a foundation for what's possible. How could you possibly know? on a first date, much more than just, all right, I'd like to check out a second date with you. Totally. And I do think there are instances, and I'm sure that you've seen this in your practice of women that are, you know, leaning more towards that like fear of commitment side and that are not really wanting to lean into something long-term for whatever. I mean, there's a multitude of reasons Mm -hmm. why that Mm -hmm. could happen. So yes, I do think kind of like the biological clock tips and obviously our whole societal, the messages that we get from Disney movies and everything since that leads us to believe that, you know, we should want marriage ASAP and commitment from a man is the ultimate, you know, prize in life, which I think has been put out there. But there is a real thing about, you know, the age that you can naturally have a baby. And then after that, it gets more complicated. So I think that is scary. But I do think there are you know, I, I'm glad you're acknowledging the men out there that do want commitment, that are leaning into that and have been hurt in the same way that a lot of women are. Because I do think that that does happen on both sides. You know, it's kind of like the whole attachment style thing that comes into play. For sure. And then it could be, I could imagine inside of a man, it becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy that his fear that he doesn't know takes on a life of its own. And it becomes like, maybe I am somebody who's just playing with people's heart. Like, you know, that, that it becomes like, it becomes, he spirals into something perfectionistic. Like what's wrong with me that I don't know. And then the more he feels like something's wrong with him for not knowing, the more paralyzed he is, the more he shuts down and pulls away. So his own uncertainty ends up taking on a life of its own versus just saying out loud, which I know both of you proposed in that episode, just saying out loud, I'm not sure yet. I love spending time with you. I'm not sure yet. Like just, you know, talking about what's happening inside of him. Right. And I think sometimes it, you know, it does end up feeling like I've waited this long, you know, kind of like this woman came along. She was great. This other one was great. I wasn't ready or it wasn't the right match or whatever. The timing wasn't right. And now it kind of feels like, well, I've waited so long. Now I do need to wait to feel this otherworldly, you know, fireworks feeling or whatever it is. And I think you said to Jared, you're down on the episode, like maybe that's just not a feeling that you are going to have. So you're kind of waiting, you know, well, I've waited till I'm 37 or 38 or 40 or however long it is. So now I can't give up and trying to find that now after I've let all these other people go because I didn't have that with them. So I think there's a piece of that too, that feels like you're, you know, this you're waiting for this kind of feeling that maybe if you've never experienced it, it's just not a way that your body 
And I'm big into sort of like that, the physical sensations that occur in your body and how those affect your thoughts and your feelings. So, you know, maybe there's just your body chemistry isn't going to give you that type of excitement in that way about another person or your psychology or whatever it is. Yeah. I think there's this like misconception that everyone falls in love the same way or everyone gets into relationships that has to happen this way or it's not real or it's not meaningful or they're not the one because you didn't immediately know on date one. I mean, that's, I, we joke about this a lot about like the, if you see wedding websites, the Our Story page are like a fantasy. Like it's the rewritten story of what it looks like. And we met and we instantly knew like very rarely, I think, is it as glossy <laughs> as people rewrite the story to say it is? Like, usually, right? I wasn't that into you at first, but right. then you kind of grew me on while. me. Our first sexual experience completely sucked. I did not have an orgasm. Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you right. rarely see it like that. Maybe uh, right. it would be refreshing too. So I think that, like, again, like the more realistic version is that, like, usually one person is further ahead than the other person at some point, and it's really just a matter of how far apart they are. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Okay. So. Going along with um, Naomi, what you were just saying about the connection between what we feel in our body and then the thoughts that emerge from there, the two of you also talked about this like kind of idea of trusting your gut, which is something I think that we throw around a lot. Like just trust your gut. You have that, you know, you have that gut feeling. And I think that also can be really tricky. And in that conversation, you proposed that your gut, rather than giving you information that is intuitive or predictive, your gut may be scanning for danger and risk and pattern recognition. Like, ah, this feels like that last thing felt. So talk to us about how trusting our guts can actually be problematic. Oh, for sure. I love talking about this because I do think that the way that we are wired is that it's like that reptilian brain is still very strong. And that's the fear-based brain. That's the survival brain. That's the one that tells us like, there's something that feels, you know, even like going back to caveman times, like, oh, I was once in this place and a rock fell on my brother and, you know, knocked him out. And so now anytime I'm in a place that looks familiar to this place, we're so adaptive that now every time I'm in this place that feels familiar, I'm going to get a surge of neurotransmitters and different hormones and chemicals that are going to course through my bloodstream that are going to send out warning signals, look around and find the danger. So sometimes that gut feeling is really just like an overactive nervous system that's telling you to look around and find danger. So when you're dating, the look around and find danger might be her hair is too thin or her you know, I don't like the way her perfume smells. And that's that signal like danger. This situation feels unsafe to me. My gut is telling me she's not the one. When I think sometimes what you need to do in that situation is just recognize that where it lives in your body, either it's a little bit of nausea, a little bit of butterfly, a little bit of racing heart. That's not necessarily a signal that you need to listen to. I think sometimes you just need to take that breath, recognize that you're being activated, give it some time, make no decisions. Because as a therapist, I'm sure you're aware, like with couples and whatnot, once you're activated, it's just biology. Our brains don't function well when we're in like fight or flight. 
You know, it's like asking someone to do a math equation when they're running away from, you know, a barking dog. Same way you can't make a decision about your future when you're in that same fight or flight state of mind. So I think that in dating, we don't realize that we're getting that kind of triggered fight or flight, you know, that something in our body is happening. And if you try to make a decision in that state of mind, it's probably not going to be the most well thought out one. So my advice is just kind of like recognizing your triggers, taking a breath, seeing if you can let it pass without making any decisions, come back to something mindful. And then if the next day you're still feel like, you know what, I'm not that excited to see this person. Okay, fine. Then once you've kind of come back to your baseline, then it's, you know, you're in a better headspace to make a decision versus trusting your gut. And sometimes you know, I don't know how much, and I'm interested in learning more about it too, like kind of the vagus nerve and the connection between your brain and your gut and mental health. And sometimes that activation in your quote unquote gut, it's anxiety, you know, and it may not be because this person's not right for you. It may just be like you said, because you're recognizing a pattern in a place, something that happened similar in your past and reacting to that rather than truly reacting to what's in front of you. So well said. So well said. And you are not, nowhere in that are you proposing that people override inner knowing. We're not proposing gaslighting yourself in any way, shape, or form. But just you're really inviting people to like let themselves slow down and add layers. And that gut feeling, whatever it feels like, is just, it's a data point. It's a data point that really deserves more context, more patience, like to let it evolve and shift. So I love this idea of a gut feeling not being some sort of predictive thing of like, uh uh-oh, I felt that thing. And that means we're wrong. We're doomed. Gotta run, da, da, da. But just, oh, here's a feeling. And then deep compassion about what's familiar to me. Why might I be feeling danger? How can I provide safety inside of myself? You know, yeah, beautiful. So well For sure. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think obviously it's there to protect us. So there are occasions where your fight or flight is being triggered because maybe something is dangerous or the person that you're on a date with is, you know, giving you a vibe that's making you uncomfortable or pushing you in a way that makes you uncomfortable. So I agree. This is in no way to say, you know, if something feels dangerous or scary or uncomfortable that you should have to override that. But I think if you notice this pattern where these, you can't quite, you know, figure out what it is and just giving yourself at least the opportunity to come back to calm body before making a decision, I think is helpful. But yeah, I'm glad that you brought that point up too. I think, I think you guys covered it very, uh, very well. Definitely, definitely agree. It's something that I've tried, you know, not in just relationships, I mean, with my own husband, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I think people say that, you know, originally maybe about dating, but in any interaction you have, if you could not, you don't, and one thing that Naomi repeats a lot, which has really helped me a lot is like, just because you think something doesn't mean it's true. And I think <laughs> what you're saying about like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your initial, ter- maybe you're turned off by something someone does. It doesn't mean that you are turned off by them. Give it, especially if you're prone to like blowing that thing up into a major turnoff. So I think giving yourself the space to know that like, just because you feel something in one moment doesn't mean that's how you feel. Oh, I love it. I love it. Right. right. And I, I, another piece is I think you kind of scan, like that idea of scanning your environment. So you get triggered in your body 
And then that cave person comes out and scans the environment. Where's the danger? My body's telling me there's danger. Where is it? And now you're kind of seeking it. So now you're sort of looking to, well, what else is this person? And like you said, Jordan, it could be interpersonal relationships, not just dating, but you know, maybe your husband doesn't answer his phone for an hour or whatever it is. And then you start to get some kind of a feeling in your gut or a trigger or whatever it is. And now you're looking around the apartment and you notice a receipt that shouldn't be where it was. And now you're looking for, you know, then you're just like scanning and seeking out these things. And that's how you can start spiraling, which I think a lot of people suffer from that. For sure. So for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so let's talk about the people who love the people who are dating, like the the people who are around you, what we call like your sort of cheering section, you know, you're dating and you've got this whole cheering section of your friends and your family and your therapist. So I would love for us to talk a little bit about some boundaries and guidelines for people who are dating, you know, in terms of like how to kind of manage the enthusiasm of the, you know, of their crew. So on the one hand, it can be really lovely, right? That you've got your girlfriends or your mom, your dad, your sibs who like can't wait to hear about the date or want to, you know, take a look at your matches on your dating app and they're in it with you and they're supporting you and celebrating you. But it also can feel like a ton of pressure. And I think it can create a situation where it's hard to hear your own inner voice or inner knowing because there's so much around you. How, you know, is how much of an issue is this and what guidance or suggestions do you have for somebody who's dating and has got a lot of <laughs> strong cheering section? <laughs> I always like to say, I feel like when you're talking about someone new that you're dating, there's such a, a fine line. You want to find the middle ground between like the cynical of like, he's never going to text me. So like, I'm not going to say anything to anyone because like, it's probably not going to work out. But then on the other hand, other side of that is, you know, telling everyone you met, you just met the perfect guy and, you know, it's almost like veers into the naive delusional stance. So Mm -hmm. it's like, do you want to be delusional or cynical? Neither. You want to be like somewhere (laughs) in the middle. And I think um, it's okay to be selective about who you're sharing your dating life with. So I think you could tell someone who you're friends with, who you have an intimate, close relationship with, who's also rooting for you, I think is a big part of it is someone that you want to share the good and the bad with. So I think you can, and again, I think the way to approach dating to me with others is like cautious optimism. So, you know, I met this guy, I went on, been on a couple of dates, it's going well, I'm pretty, and you could be real and vulnerable with the person and also knowing that that's someone you can trust where if it doesn't work out, they are, they're going to be helpful to you and they want the best for you. And it's not, they're not asking as a way to sort of just gossip or hear about, you know, vicariously get excited through you. Cause I think that's a lot of people too, where it's someone wants an update just for like entertainment value, almost like themselves right. for their right for themselves and their own entertainment. And I think a lot of people, single women, especially with a lot of friends who are in relationships or married, it can feel like you're sort of like their court jester telling them all their stories. So I don't think that you need to be that, but I think if you find a few people that you have an intimate, close relationship with that, you know, are going to help you when it doesn't go well and be really excited for you when it does, I think that can be really nice because it is nice to be able to talk about. The beginning stages of dating are filled with so many micro ups and downs that it's it's really nice to have a relationship where you can share that with people. Totally. And I like the advice of kind of finding a, a small group of people that handle it in a way that you feel like works for you 
and communicating with them? Because sometimes I think what happens is if you do tell too many people, then you have to, on the one hand, you have to kind of untell if it doesn't work out or they ask you for the update and you're like, yeah, I never heard back from that guy, which, okay, that's fine. Simple as I never heard back from that guy. Finish. You could just do that. But for some people, it feels like having to say that seven times when you're already feeling disappointed just kind of feels like it makes it a little bit worse. But I do think telling people that are going to be okay with the answer of, yeah, that didn't work out. I don't really feel like talking about it too. Because I think sometimes you feel like if you've opened up to somebody, now you owe them an explanation about what happened when maybe you don't feel like explaining the story for the fifth time that day when you're already just dealing with your own feelings. So I do think it's important to find people that are going to respect your boundaries and maybe you got overly excited and went on for an hour about the first date and he never calls again and they can accept the answer of, I never heard from him. I don't really feel like talking about it. If you don't, or if you do feel like talking about it, you do. I think the other piece is being careful not to seek too many opinions about a subjective situation because that can just cause crazy making, I think, when you're sort of like, well, this friend thinks he's into me. And that one says, well, he's just using you for sex. And this one thinks this. And then you're just your head spinning and you can't really stay mindful because you have all these other people's opinions swirling around in your mind. Opinions that, by the way, are shaped completely through their lens of experience. These friends are not sharing objective truth. They're sharing their opinion that's filtered through their cultural context, their experiences, their personality, their fear. So it's not objective opinions that you're getting. Right. And I think that when you talk about this stuff with too many people or over and over again, which I have to say I was definitely guilty of doing as someone who like likes to analyze their thoughts and feelings constantly, which is, you know, something we bring to the podcast. But I have found that sometimes when I do that, I'm telling everyone the story or I'm telling everyone like it it creates like Naomi, you've talked about on the show, like this solidified neural pathway where it's like now I'm so I've practiced thinking about this thing so much and analyzing this thing so much that I'm fixating on it. I can't still have it as like one of the things going on in my life. It's taking up 80% of my brain space instead of taking up 20% of my brain space. Such a good point. Right. The more people who are in the trenches with you, that's just more management for you to do. So you are every conversation Mm -hmm is reinforcing, it's it's more brain space and it's reinforcing the narrative and the amount of energy you're spending on that relationship. And the importance, yeah, the importance, the importance. of like that, of of whether this gets to a day three, which which wouldn't necessarily be that important objectively to an outsider is like not that big of a deal, but because you've now talked about the second date with 10 people, it feels like there's a lot more pressure to make it work. You know what? I'm I'm interested, um, Dr. Solomon, to hear your perspective as a therapist, because sometimes I do feel, and I'm sure you have this, where you have a patient that comes in and they kind of rehearse the same narrative or they tell the same story or they're kind of, you know, ruminating, I guess is the best word for whatever dating situation, if we're talking about that. And sometimes it feels like that's what the patient wants to do. There's this urge to kind of review this story and write this narrative and but as a and I want to give them what they need in that moment if that's what they need and that feels soothing but then there's a part of me that says I don't know if this is really in your best interest to talk about this again 
we talked about this last time and we're talking about it again. And I know that you're having the urge to kind of go over this again, but like Jordana saying, maybe it's really almost helping them rehearse this story that they've written in their mind versus saying like, maybe we could rehearse a different story, but that's not the one that they kind of have that itch that they want to scratch. You know, they want to scratch this itch. They don't really want to go there. Um, So I'm curious how you support people that feel like they want to talk about these things and they've talked about it a bunch of times already. And that, that role that we have to kind of redirect them and help them create a new neural pathway in that way. Right, right, right. Well, and to get, and to get to the underlying feeling, right. To get like, as a therapist, I think when I'm in that spot, I'm trying to feel my way into like, what is the underlying feeling that's driving the need to create the narrative. And most likely it's, you know, some blend of, it's something, it's anxiety because that is, I mean, so much of dating is just developing the capacity to sit with not knowing. And so most likely it's going to be a practice of just coming back to the ability to sit with not knowing, you know, and like breathing into the not knowing and maybe also as a therapist wanting to help them remember that they're more than, as Jordan was saying, that you are more than just your date story. You're also somebody with, you know, a job, a hobby, family dynamics, you know, like passions, interests, like that there's more to the person. So I can imagine myself, if I'm hearing the story again, and it's feeling like it's repetitive, I might also be wanting to bring in something else about another domain of their life to remind them and to remind me that they are more than just whatever is happening with the story. And then maybe also thinking about okay, what is it about this story and how does it tie to family of origin stuff, right? Because I'm always going to be going towards that about if my client is stuck and it's over and over, okay, what what is a little tender spot? What's the the wound that this is? You know, I don't feel prioritized. I don't feel valued. I don't feel whatever that wound is, you know? For sure. Okay, I you both are giving so much permission to the person who is dating to be discerning. That not, you don't have to be your friend's entertainment. You know, I mean, the fact that there's literally entire genres of reality TV, like about dating shows there's something that's so intrinsically fascinating and captivating about dating, but you don't have to be the source of entertainment for your friends and really picking and choosing like who can hold this, like who can hold this with me. I hate that we have to wrap up. (laughs) So fun. So fun. I really, you both are so easy to talk to, like so wise and funny and sharp. I love it. Love being in conversation with both of you. Thank you so much for including us here. This is great. And I really love the work that that you do. I listened to a couple of episodes and you just are very thoughtful and give wonderful guidance in terms of, uh, you know, just like, how to own your own experience. Um, so I really, I really love that. And I, you know, I appreciate you having us on the show. Agreed. So soothing and wise. I feel calm just, just yeah. recording this. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So tell, we will put links to your pod, well, to, to both podcasts, right? To you up and to oversharing. We'll put those in the show notes. What else? What are other ways for listeners to get to know both of you, each of you and the work that you're doing? As far as my own practice, I'm not accepting any individual clients, but I do have some groups that I run, interpersonal relationship groups. I am nearing 
capacity, but I always take wait lists if I open up new groups for anyone that's interested in group therapy, exploring kind of your, um, it could be romantic. It's a lot of the stuff we talk about in oversharing, whether it's work issues, family issues, romantic relationships, uh, sibling relationships. We kind of cover the gamut and those are very mindfulness-based groups. So we start every group out with a meditation and really, you know, kind of weave mindfulness through everything that we do in terms of um, creating more peace interpersonally. So if anyone's interested in that, you can um, look me up at naomibernstein.com and check out myself um, or you can reach me there or you can reach me at naomibernsteinpsych at gmail.com if you're interested in joining a group. And uh, you can listen to You Up and Oversharing anywhere you get your podcast. You Up has an Instagram at you.up.podcast. And we release new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and Oversharing comes out every Tuesday. And if you'd like to follow me personally, I'm at Jordana Abraham on Instagram. The You Up Instagram is really funny if you're looking for some good laughs. (laughs) Um, It's one of my favorite Instagram accounts. Definitely humor-based. That's great. That's great. Thank you both. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jordana and Dr. Naomi, for joining me here on the podcast. If you want to hear more from these sisters, I highly suggest that you check out the Oversharing podcast, as well as the dating show that Jordana co-hosts called You Up. Until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Katie Pagich of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.